Who's wrong and who's wronger? In this corner, followed by Millions James, the exploding unicorn, Breakwell. And in that corner, ignored by Millions, Steve Dosh, Rinko Lieber. Everybody, welcome back to Wrong and Wronger. I'm actually here. I threatened to leave. James was on his hands and knees. I'm not even kidding. Hands clenched into folded praying fists and begging me to stay. I said, James, I don't like you. I don't like the show. He said, hey, I can't go on without you. So I reluctantly caved. And here we are again. James, how are you doing, man? Well, you're, you actually told the half-truth there. I was on my hands and knees with my hands folded in prayer, but I was thinking, thanking God that you were leaving. So I don't know how you got that other message there. Huh, it's weird. That, that, uh, you were kind of vague about it, so I just put my own summarization in. <laughs> well, this is the podcast where every week we take time out of our busy schedules to come to you and argue about things that obviously don't matter to anybody, least of all us, or maybe most of all us. That's why we keep coming back. But James, what are we going to argue about today? We're going to argue about the lottery. Is it better to win it or to not win it? And this is relevant to you? Why? The uh, the lottery around here, there's two of them. The Mega Millions and the Powerball are both over $400 million. So, you know, and usually when they get up that high, everybody buys their ticket, even though nobody's going to win. And so it's going to, you know, it'll jump to, you know, five, six, seven hundred million. And uh, it's just interesting because, you know, there's all these horror stories about people who win. Like, it always seems to go wrong for everybody who does. But we keep buying tickets, or at least, you know, some of us do. So I thought I thought it'd be interesting to get into the psychology of that a little bit and then maybe to swap stories about what we would do if we had that kind of money. Because I know you would make all the wrong choices, and I very much look forward to hearing oh, how you're ruining your wish. life. <laughs> well, as we have discussed many times, I have absolutely no idea what happens to money once it comes into my uh, account, I guess, because then Mrs. Steve takes it and does whatever she needs. I will say... Even though she's very frugal with the way that she deals with money, she is one that you are talking about. That if it's under 200, 300 million, she don't even give the lottery a whiff. <laughs> we don't need that kind of chump change. But once it passes, especially half a billion, she is at the front of the line at the gas station while I'm getting coffee, making sure that she has that Powerball ticket. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I thought the same thing too. It's like, it's at 50 million. It's like, well, I'm not buying. That's not worth a dollar for me. What am I going to do with 50 million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've played the Powerball maybe, it's more than 10, but less than 20 times in my life. And it's usually just kind of, my daughter and I, that she would like to do it. She, like when she was real little, she would like to fill in the Powerball thing with a pencil. So we did that a few times, but I don't buy it with any expectation of victory. And lo and behold, my predictions have been met every single time. That, that's good. If you set your expectations low enough, you're never disappointed, which I, I imagine is the yeah. default feeling of everyone around you. They just put those expectations on the ground early and they know what to expect. Uh, I've heard that you know, winning the Powerball or Mega Millions or whatever is like dropping a needle 
on a football field and trying to spear an ant. You know, it just, it's such, you know, astronomic odds. But at the same time, I don't think you really buy it for the chance of winning. I mean, yeah, it's possible. I think when you're, what your dollar or $2 buys is, is like a daydream. Like for a couple hours in the afternoon, you're like, what would I do if I won this money? And that's really the joy of it. I don't know if there's any other $2 you can spend or $3 that will buy you that, you know, that much of a distraction for that long. I mean, you can't even get a beer at a bar for that. Uh, and I, I think it's worth it for that. And I know for like, uh, when, I, when I was, and right now I, I thought about it. The reason this, should I win it or should I not win it across my mind is I thought about all the headaches that would come with getting that money, all the steps you have to take to stay anonymous, all, all of these other things. But I remember a time in my life when I was working at the newspaper, I was dirt poor and I would have done anything to get out of there. And that lottery ticket I bought every Wednesday and every Friday, that was the only thing getting me through. That there was a statistically <laughs> insignificant chance that maybe... Just maybe I wouldn't have to work up and go into that job. And that was all that was keeping me going. So I, I get it. I get people who buy it. And, you know, now I buy it just as insurance because I hate to, you know, if you give me a choice, do you want $400 million or not want $400 million? I mean, you're not going to say you don't want it. But it's not it's not the uh, the lifeline like it once was for me. Well, and once you get that four hundred million, if you pay your fair share, you're going to lose five hundred million. So you're going to end up like selling your house just to be able to pay the taxes on that thing. But uh, it's interesting because there's shows. I don't remember one one the conglomerate of like History Channel, yeah. Discovery Channel, like of. I can't remember the title of the show, but like lottery winners and what they do in the aftermath, mm -hmm. and it's almost always dumb, and you can see it coming. And they do it anyway, and then uh, they live with the regret of once having been rich. But there's also a social component to it where, so if you get 400 million, just say you clear a million, uh, 150 million after yeah. taxes and uh, paying off your mother's house or whatever you do. But if you get 150 million in the bank, I would imagine it gets very difficult to trust people. Yes. Because you don't know if they're coming around you because you're rich or if they're coming around because they like you. And just FYI, I've known you for many years, <laughs> and it'll be because you're rich. Well, obviously. And I was thinking about that, because like, if you claim it under your own name, your life is pretty much over. Everybody's going to be coming to you for a handout for forever. Like right now, I very yeah. much enjoy that there are problems in the world and that I can't do anything about them. I, by myself, cannot solve them. But like, if you had $200 million, there's realistically, yeah. you might not be able to solve every problem, but you could probably fix a whole lot of small problems or maybe one really big problem. And I feel like you then have yeah. some sort of ethical responsibility. And I definitely wouldn't yeah. do that. I would just The money would just sit in the no. bank. I'm not solving any of these problems. <laughs> and there'd just be all this pressure and all this guilt. Uh, but yeah, if you if you claim it in your own name, you're kind of done. So you have to go through all these steps to you know get it in a trust and claim it anonymously, but then you've got this money. And um, how do you spend it without people finding out? Like, how do you yeah. how do you be a millionaire without looking or acting like a millionaire? Like, I think you've got to. Like, if I if I wanted my game plan, I would have to keep my day job for a while, so people don't know. Like, all of a sudden, well, you quit your job the day after somebody in your area won the lottery. Like, what's going on? So you got to keep up appearances <laughs> for a while. But eventually, people are going to wonder, like, how are you going on all these vacations? How are you spending all this stuff? So do you just not spend it? Do you let them find out gradually? And like, once they find out it's like well you, know, you get family members well my car broke down two years ago and i couldn't go to work and you mean you didn't buy you know you didn't pay for it for me i think uh 
I think if they ever find out, I don't know if there's ever a way to introduce it to them that doesn't lead to disaster. And uh, once they know, like, I, I think it's all over. Because, I mean, if I had a relative who had $400 million, I gotta admit, there'd be some resentment there. I, I would expect them to pay for some things, because I'm a bad person. <laughs> it's like, you've got $400 million, surely you can throw a little bit my way. And if, if I think that way, I, I've got to think everybody else does, because obviously I am the prime example for all human beings. So I, I think if there's any money in the family, you're all just done for. Now, would you shovel a little of it over to Dr. Steve? That's the real question. I think I would like, uh, well, I would pay to build a wall around your house, I think. Not for your protection, but for the protection <laughs> of the world. Just keep you in there. Build the dome, and then everyone everyone would be better off. Well, I don't know. So you obviously, in the, in the Steve Olivas manner there with your servants and acres and acres of land, you are not, you know, you know, are, are not among the, the desperate poor. So if you got a sudden influx of millions of dollars, like how would your life change? I mean, you've already got like two people per 20,000 square feet of your house. Like what, would you, <laughs> would you even move if you won the lottery? What would you do? Yes, is the answer to that. <laughs> and I never understood people who said like insane things that make no sense. Like if I won the lottery, I would still show up to work tomorrow. <laughs> like uh, you just said it yourself. Like what's wrong with you people? Unfortunately, because of what I do for a living, I have a legal responsibility to at least wean my clients over to somebody <laughs> else. So I couldn't just yell, kiss my ass, and then run screaming naked out of this building into the parking lot. I would have to stick around for a little while, but I don't think we would stay where we're at. I don't know that we'd buy a bigger house, but we would definitely relocate somewhere nice. What, what crosses your mind is nice? I know you have terrible taste in all things, and I've got to think that translates to real estate. Uh, we would get probably a cabin on a lake somewhere in the north. Uh, either go back to Wisconsin or maybe the Northeast, Maine, Vermont, kind of up there. And then we would definitely get a place somewhere island-based, mm. uh, possibly in the U.S., like Hawaii or maybe Caribbean, possibly out in the Pacific. Well, we would uh, we would get an island home somewhere. So you would you would go up to the north, but the north's defining characteristic, you know, soul crushing cold. You would you would not be up there for that. So you would not be <laughs> I, I a real cold, northerner. Man. I wish it would snow here. You don't know how lucky you've got it that it snows in Indianapolis. It, it does a little here and there. It's not like we used to get in Iowa. But I, I like that you're below the line where if you get like a quarter inch of snow, it's like Armageddon. The people are, I mean, people here are always bad the first time it snows. But for you, it's like a first time in your life snow. Like enough years elapse in between <laughs> it that they've just forgotten that snow even exists. And I just, I would like to be around people that naive and deadly in motor vehicles. Just maybe as an observer, <laughs> safely off the road, to just watch what happens. Yeah, you think the COVID made people hoard toilet paper. You should be around here if a quarter inch of snow is predicted. Like the grocery store is a demilitarized zone. People setting fires in the parking lot, cars turned over. It's mass hysteria. I have a friend in Texas and they got a quarter inch of snow once and they shut down the trains. Like the trains, how, how is a quarter inch of snow going to stop a train? 
<laughs> is it going to jump well, the how tracks? How can the conductors possibly be expected to get to work in a quarter inch of snow? Come on, James. <laughs> it's almost a quarter of the way up the sole of your shoe. You know, that's just, that's just dangerous territory. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. But here's, here... So would you stay where you're at? And I do love your house. Don't get me wrong. But would you stay where you're at if you won $400 million? You know, I thought, you know, I've done so many things wrong in my life. But the one thing I think I'm doing okay for my kids is we've been in one spot their entire lives. So they've got one group of friends and, you know, they've been going to one school district and all that. Because when you move and you're a kid, it's kind of like you die. Like, your life just starts over. You say you're going to stay in touch with your friends, but you don't. And, again, I'm basing this on my experiences growing up. We moved all, yeah. all around for a good part of my childhood. And, granted, this is before social media and stuff, so maybe I would have just stayed in touch with the same friends. But for me, you just start over from scratch. And it was pretty traumatic at the time. So I would like to think we'd stay near where we are. Maybe we'd get a house with a garage. Uh, my father-in-law gives me a hard time about that all the time. I don't have to scrape the car that much. But <laughs> yeah. it is it is out there. It is exposed. And I, I do have to crack a quarter inch of ice off it sometimes at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, maybe get something with a little bit of land on the edge of town so I could have a, you know, a proper pig pasture, which would, would always be good. But the question is then, um, what do you tell people when they ask you what you do for a living? And I would think if I won the lottery, I would still write books. I'd probably only write the books I really, really want to write, not necessarily just the ones that I think, you know, will sell or, you know, whatever. Right, you know, we've, right. we've all done those jobs. But, you know, the, the, the ones I really, I'm really passionate about. But then, like, people ask, what do you do? Do, you, do, you, do I tell them I'm a writer? And then they look and they, they see this book they've never heard of. And then they see my mansion and they, they try to put two and two together. You just tell them you're independently wealthy. <laughs> do you just not have friends? Like, how do you get around that? Like, people just kind of making the bland inquiries into your life and, and not wanting them to know that you've got $400 million in the bank. I think you are overthinking that because I don't know how many people will give it more than a cursory thought like that may float across their radar screen for a second, mm -hmm. but then I think they just move on to the next thing. Do you think people care about your life that much, James Breakwell? I don't, but I, I care about outliers and only the sense that you know you care about like a car wreck when you drive by. You don't necessarily care about the well-being <laughs> involved. It's just a dramatic sight you turn your head at. Like if I see somebody and they, okay, like House Hunters. Have you ever watched House Hunters? Uh, many, many. I love this. Show, I wonder yeah. about the financials of everybody on that show. Like one person's like, I'm a professional dog walker and I'm a full-time mom and our budget is $3 million. And every single time <laughs> I want to know what the heck's going on behind the wow. scenes. Are they selling drugs? Do they got rich parents? Like what is the story there? I have never in my life known anybody with that kind of budget. And that's like every budget on House Hunters. It blows my mind. Boy, it's funny you say that because I, I really have thought that before. I'll be sitting there going, no, you can't afford that house. And then the realtor, because this is part of the game, yeah. they'll always show you one a little outside of, a little above your reach yeah. so that uh, you appreciate what you have or maybe you reach a little further than you thought mm -hmm. you could. But it's like, one or the other of the couple will say, nah, that's too expensive. We can't afford it. And I'm like, you're damn right you can't. And then they end up getting it anyway. And it's like, what? are you waiting for someone to die just so you can get an inheritance to be able to make the monthlies on this thing? You're crazy. My favorite is look at like a million and a half dollar house and they're looking around at them and it's like, well, this one doesn't have a fridge. It's like, is that the deal breaker for you? A $2,000 fridge? 
I don't like the color of the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, or then they buy a house and the renovation budget is worth more than the house itself. I just, I, I don't, and like you can't even get a loan like that in the real world. I looked into it. You can't like buy a $100,000 house but take out a $200,000 loan to fix it up, at least not at my bank. So I don't, I don't even understand the financial structure behind this. So in those situations, yes, I have questions. And I guess in real life, I don't know that many people anymore. But if somebody had like a, a giant house on the lake, I guess the most recent time this happened, you know, I was up with some friends in Wisconsin. You know, you never want to own a boat, but you want to have a friend with a boat so they can, you know, harbor all the costs for you. You could just bop in sure. and out without yeah. any of the responsibilities. And, yeah. um, you know, they had a friend who actually had a house on this lake. And, you know, they, they mentioned just in passing that, you know, his dad owned some company and he worked for it too. Like, there's always a story. Like, there's always some explanation of how do you have this thing that seems to be so out of reach of the socioeconomic status of everybody else. And maybe maybe that goes away by the time people are your age. They're just, you know, have kind of given up on life and can't care about other people or be interested in them. But I think <laughs> if I had, like, the biggest house in town, I think people would would ask questions. So I think I would have to curb my ambitions just a little bit with that. Hey, speaking of, I thought of you yesterday Ooh. because I looked on Zillow yeah. and one of the houses I had saved was that enormous one that you were looking at about a year ago. Oh, you, you, I, you, I can't believe I sent you that link. I'm, I, uh, you had to have because I had it favorited. Yeah. So I I saw how much it sold for. It was like 13 cents a square foot. Oh, it was insane. Because the thing was a disaster inside, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. You, your renovation budget would literally have been double what your buying the house budget would have been. But the point in saying that is the thing is a monstrosity. It was like 9,000 square feet <laughs> or something yes. absurd like that. But uh, I was thinking if you won the lottery, I wonder if you would revisit that house if you could go back in time and you would buy that one anyway, because it gives you the space you need so that Lola can finally get away from you in the house, like be in another time zone. But it would also, uh, you'd have to fix it up so it wouldn't be ostentatious to the point that people would wonder what you're doing for a living that you can afford that big of a that, house. That is true. That would have been a perfect cover because that house was actually 10,000 square feet. But looking at it from the outside, you okay. would never <laughs> guess it was 10,000 square feet. Yeah. It was also laid out super poorly, had low ceilings and stuff like that. Stuff that's really not, from a cost standpoint, practical to ever fix. But I guess, yeah, if you won the lottery, you could just gut that sucker from the inside out, start over, and nobody would be the wiser. Um, but right. yeah, that probably that the not getting that house was the best thing that ever happened to us because it would have just kicked off a whole new era of stress and expense in our lives. And now we've just got this house here, which is plenty big, as long as we don't let the kids amass all of the things in the universe, which they very much want to do. Like we have to decide <laughs> at some point we need to get rid of some of these things or we will be buried alive in toys. And if we have ten had 10,000 square feet, like there would be like no point. Like you would just... You could fill up entire spare rooms and not yeah. even notice. I mean, you would, you, it yeah. would, you would need like nine U-Hauls to move out of there. And uh, yeah, th yeah, that house though, I've, I've never seen square footage so cheap for so much space. And it actually sold way below the listing price on top of that. But then I looked and somebody moved in right away. So they must be living in it as is and slowly renovating. Or maybe they just don't mind not having floors. I don't know. I didn't ask questions, <laughs> but uh, it, it does raise some red flags. So what would your splurge be? If you get a couple hundred million bucks, even though you are you are one of the most 
uh, frugal people I know, James, which is going to serve you well in life. But I know you would splurge on something for yourself. What would it be? I, you know what? I've been going back and forth on this. So the house is a big questionable proposition. I think I wait a couple years before I bought anything, but I think I might get a new minivan. My minivan is aggressively trying to kill me. The other oh. day up here in Indiana's lovely oh, weather, both of my sliding doors froze closed when I went to drop the kids off at school. <laughs> they had, so I, yeah, I probably maybe get a house at the garage too, I guess. But, so they had to crawl through like the front passenger side door over the center console and get back there. And we get to school. It was a couple minute drive. So the van had warmed up a little bit. And I push the buttons to open it. And one door finally slides open. And the other door goes, ka-chunk. And it gets stuck halfway. <laughs> it would neither open nor close. Now, I went through it with sheer brute strength. Got it most of the way closed, but it didn't all the way latch. So it just shrieked at me every time I moved the car, you know, telling me I was an idiot because my door was still open. And as it just so happened, I was on my way to the mechanic after dropping them off at school anyway for an unrelated <laughs> mechanical problem with the same van. So I said, can you take a look at this? And uh, they took a look at it and said, yeah, we're not touching that door. You got to go to a dealership. So now I have to go in the middle of the Ooh. day later this week to have that looked at. So I think, yes, starting over with maybe not a brand new minivan, but like a one-year-old no, used no. minivan, yeah. that might sure. be refreshing and might diminish like the source of 80% of the stress in my life. What about you? What would wow. your splurge purchase be? Uh, I have two that I would probably do. I would buy a real Rolex. Ooh. I have uh, three or four fake ones. I had a really nice fake one, <laughs> and I say it in the past tense because it now lives in Vermont with my son, who took it away under the cover of darkness so he can wear it. So I'd get a real Rolex, I like watches, and uh, probably a Cadillac. A Cadillac? That, that has to be the lamest of all sports cars you could buy. I mean, you're of all like high-end vehicles. No, I wouldn't buy the sports car, no. It's, uh, why, why a Cadillac? Is it, uh, did Matthew McConaughey get to you with all those commercials? Or is he Lincoln? I, I forget which one he does. He's Lincoln. That's a good guess, though, because uh, he and I look identical with our shirts <laughs> off. But uh, no, I don't, I'm not a, a speed junkie. I'm not, I like cars from an aesthetic standpoint, but I don't feel genetically pulled to owning like an Acura R7 or anything. Like, not an Acura, an Audi R7. Audi Acura, I don't know what the hell. But uh, I've always, probably because of my age, thought Cadillacs are sort of a nice regal sign that you have arrived. So it's probably my age, plus it's about the pinnacle of American engineering, yeah. the Cadillac. I, right? I think it's a nice sign that you've arrived at age 65 or older. But I mean, you know, you're there anyway, so you might as well sig yeah. you know, signal it proudly to the world. I'm curious about the Rolex thing, though. From a practical standpoint, the only, I mean, you don't really need it to tell time. You've got, you know, you've got a phone. So I guess what's the value of a real Rolex over a fake Rolex? If the only point is to look good and impress other people with flashy wealth, like, do you think they can tell it's a fake Rolex? Do they go up and inspect it with one of those little magnifying glasses? Or is it just, do you feel insecure when you wear a fake Rolex? No, 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 no. Uh... Well, first of all, we're talking about something that doesn't have to be practical because you have $200 million in the bank. <laughs> we might be doing this, this wrong. this is going to take about twenty-three grand of it. But uh, I've owned many, many fake, cool, expensive watches in my life because I, I love the watches. And uh, just the fact that I would have, uh, uh, that I would know I am in possession of a real Rolex would seem like the end of a vision quest for me. <clears throat> Like I have fin finally discovered fire, that I've got this Rolex. 
And uh, I would wear it proudly and probably get mugged in a subway because I have it, but it would still be worth just having one before I give me a Give me a ballpark. What is the, what's the value or the retail price of a good Rolex? If you want one brand new, well, they make very uh, just ostentatious, gaudy ones with diamonds studded oh. in the hole. You can go north of a hundred grand, but if you just want kind of a nice one, you get a used one or a refurbished from a dealer, you can get it probably three to 12 in that window. Three to $12,000. Yeah. If you had something worth $12,000 on your wrist, wouldn't that just make you nervous at all times that you're going to scratch it up or leave it somewhere? Not if I have 200 million more in the bank. Really? I think, you know what? I, I think, okay, so I, even now, like, a dollar isn't a lot to me. I'm not, I'm not rich by any means, but I'm to the point that, like, a dollar one way or the other will not make or break me. But if I were right. to drop a dollar bill out of my billfold and watch it blow away in the wind... I would feel bad about that. That would ruin my day if I lost a dollar like that. So I've got to think, even if you have $200 million, if you lose a $12,000 Rolex, that's still got to be upsetting. I mean, that's like, that's half a car. Or if you buy the kind of cars I oh, do, no, no, no. that's like a whole car. Well, you just changed the rules of the question. You asked, would I worry I'm going to scratch it? Then the answer <laughs> is no. Would I feel bad if I lost it? The answer would be yeah. Like you and I are wired a little bit the same that way because I grew up sort of with the same mindset about money, but I'm a little older than you and realize if a dollar blew in the way in the wind, I I'm not in good enough shape to go chasing <laughs> after it. Like screw it, I'll just rob one out of my kid's piggy bank to get it back. Well, there you go. It's it's the fun that keeps on giving. I mean, it's not like you've uh, invested any money in them over the years. And now that your son has a fake Rolex, I think you're you're justified in deducting that from <laughs> his allowance. He's got a good one, too, a Yacht Master. I love that watch. Oh, no, when you said a fake Rolex, I thought you meant, like, literally a counterfeit Rolex. You mean, like, a different it luxury is. brand. No, 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 no. It's a counterfeit Rolex. So what is you? And I'll tell you what. You can spend a couple thousand bucks on a fake Rolex, too. Like, uh, there are good Rolex fakes with Swiss guts to them. The cheaper ones have Japanese guts. Uh, you can get them with like a real jewels that keep the time because they don't wear out with friction. Like there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole underbelly of fake name brand watches. How do you get one that's not counterfeit then if there's that much going in there? Like how do you, how do you not get ripped off? What's the strategy there? Uh, you've got to go to a real jeweler mm. and probably one that you trust, but there is, well, hell, there's authentic paperwork and authentic boxes they come in, but you can buy that paperwork in those boxes online too. If you're trying to peddle a fake one as real, like you can, it's a compelling fake nowadays. This just sounds like an So yeah, I guess a reputable jeweler. Yeah, that's just like an entire another line of stress in your life. I don't, I don't think this Rolex is adding to it. I would just be, I would just be worried all the time. Am I getting ripped off? Am I going to lose it? I, I don't know. I think I would go, I would, I would go watch list, but that's just me. But anyway, we have reached our contractually obliged 25 minutes talking oh, about nothing God, once not again. I think we can agree the one thing if we won that money is that this podcast would be over, you know, because it would finally replace the zero dollars we make a week here. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need to come back here and, and prostitute ourselves out like this anymore. <laughs> I'd be like, James who? I don't know. All right, well, let's bring this thing to a close. We'll call it a mercy killing. Until next week, 
and you've made it through another week, which is a feather in your cap. This is Steve Olivas, Dr. Steve, for the eternally grateful James the Exploding Unicorn Breakwell, saying thanks for listening, thanks for watching, thanks for putting up with my co-host, and until we meet again, remember, as always, two wrongs can make a right. <laughs>